feedback. I just want to get to know you. I'm looking out here and I see new faces. I see folks I'm familiar with. And uh, I see some of you who are new. And Marianne and I are just really uh, looking forward to you opening up our house and having hospitality and having people over. And I hope that you will uh, uh, oblige us. And we would love to, to get to know you and, and hang out with you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was here. Let me just drop it down just a little bit there. It's just, there you go. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, we had some folks join the church, and I was here, I think it was July 5th, and that was my first Sunday back in worship, and I was so impressed. They actually joined the church in membership, and they did not know who I was. <laughs> I thought, man, that's one of the best, most incredible expressions of faith I've ever seen. You join a church, don't have met the senior pastor, so... Uh, may, I, may I not mess it all up for them. So hmm. let's pray. Well, Father, uh, this is a good moment for us to uh, pause and to realize that you intend to interact with us right now. Father, I don't know each of the individual uh, situations here. I'm aware of some things, but Father, I know that your desire is to have us um, engage you and to commune with you. So Father, I pray that this will not be just Sunday morning words, but they will be words of transformative power, and that is uh, an element and a, a realm I cannot uh, do. I can't make that happen. So I pause, Lord, that you would give us uh, hearts to hear. Uh, grant to us revival of, of our hearts and, and spirits. Uh, grant to us, Lord, um, a revived love for you. Uh, thank you for your being among us. And in the name of Christ, we pray. Uh, amen. Well, as we had the, uh, I might have to just, just kind of hang out right here for a while, and if I get scared, I'll go back up over there and hide behind the pulpit. But um, we're going to hang out a little bit in 1 Timothy chapter 4, particularly verse 16. So you have it there in your worship folder. If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn, turn there. Um, okay, so I just got back from this uh, sabbatical, and it was a, a generous portion of time, uh, had been here some 18 years uh, without an extended time off, and so uh, the elders uh, figured out a time for this to happen, and uh, we had a, a good, restful time, uh, Marianne and I. Uh, by the way, Marianne was off duty as well, which was, that was a big event. That was, I remember we had a special meeting with the elders, and Marianne had to agree to this. That was a big moment. Um, because he's the one who needs it. But anyway, <laughs> but she did fine, and she cooperated. And uh, uh, so we did, we did trips to, to, to Mexico. We had some, some other travel, and uh, our daughter, uh, Aubrey, got married uh, June 27th, uh, and uh, it was a, a really exciting moment in our family's uh, life. And uh, so if you want to see the slides, come on over. We'll show you. It's amazing, in our day and age, uh, uh, you know, an hour event can have 6,000 pictures. I just, I'm still trying to figure that out, but. So, um, I, and I, miss, I missed you, 
and I missed this experience. Uh, for me, it was a very unusual experience to not have you know, kind of a regular Sunday morning thing. I attended various churches, and, but um, so it was interesting for me to be in this period of time when I was a, just a regular guy, and, uh, and so it was, I, I took notes on what that was like. Um, I was, one impression I had was just how powerful um, the, the attraction is for entertainment, activities. Uh, there are lots of things that you could be doing uh, this morning. Uh, and to self-consciously choose, you may think this is odd to say, but to self-consciously say, no, I am going to worship the triune God uh, and make that a priority in my life. Um, that is in itself quite counter-cultural, um, and I applaud you for that. Uh, I need you. I need your fellowship. I need your worship alongside me, and, uh, and I missed that uh, in that time, but it was a good time uh, for me, and I'll, and I'll I write and preach, and you'll get more and more insights into what the sabbatical was like for me. Um, a sabbatical is a, uh, a time of of rest and a time for um, attentiveness. Uh, it's a time when the, the noise that is in your head uh, begins to lessen. And, um, or at least you become aware of noise that's there, anxieties that are there, and you can no longer blame, blame those issues on your church which is a little uncomfortable, you say, because you're a convenient tool for me, you say. And so what happens if you're a minister of the gospel and you don't have someone to point to? What happens when the, the, it starts going this direction? What do you do? And actually, the Apostle Paul uh, t tells ministers to, to do this regularly. Uh, verse 16 of 1 Timothy 4, um, pay close attention to yourself. Um, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So this morning, um, I want to tell you about a priority that ought to be in your life. And it's a priority that is actually spoken directly in God's word to ministers. So in a sense, uh, ministers are the primary audience here, and you're the secondary audience. But it's just as applicable to you. Pay attention to yourself. Some translations keep a close watch on yourself. And who would have thought in a very a rather narcissistic age that we'd be free to pay attention to ourselves, because it seems as if we have no problem doing that. Um, that's just kind of the air that we breathe. Uh, self is actually a magazine that's committed to that called Self. So what is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about a much deeper reflection than our culture, cultural reflection or our uh, amusing ourselves or our entertaining ourselves or keeping ourselves busy, he is talking about 
the deeper motives of your heart and the practice of truth in you. You who are dispensers of truth to others, you who are busy telling others what to be or what to do, you who do this must be convinced of the joyful good news, the sweet mercy of God for yourself, lest you become, on one extreme, hypocritical, on another extreme, perhaps just dry in your heart. Your heart is a desert. It, you, you can't just tell people about the sheet music. You've got to sing the melody. And the melody has to be in your heart. Pay close attention to yourself, Timothy. It's possible to go through the motions of being a minister, but your heart can be very far from it. And the very reasons why, that you, why you're a minister of the gospel can actually be very far from God's purposes. And I, uh, this past week, I have a little journal, and I began to write down the names of ministers that I have worked with. Now, I've been here for a long time, some of you may not be aware, but I was on staff at three large churches on the mainland and consequently uh, was aware of pastors and their lives. I was sort of a junior pastor. And I just sort of wrote down the names of individuals that I worked with. And I won't spend too much time on this because it's a little bit depressing. Uh, but the issues that were not dealt with. The attentiveness to the self that was necessary and the inability to listen, to mature through input. Um, and so... Uh, all of us uh, are saddened when there is some um, you know, moral failure uh, in the minister's life. And that, of course, is the tip of the iceberg in a life that needed attentiveness. Attentiveness. Now, when the Apostle Paul says this to Timothy, uh, pay close attention to yourself, uh, we realize that that's something we don't want to do. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's something we actually actively resist. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anyone who, says, who started off, you know, this week I was paying a particular attention to myself now, we do a lot of talking to ourselves. In fact, that's the person we probably talk to the most. Our mind is rattling off conversations. But inevitably, the, the, the conversations are going outward, circumstances and people. It's not always true. And I want to address another, another kind of person who might be here. My thesis today is 
is that this watchful, intention, intentional self-care is the first thing that is neglected in the Christian life. Watchful, intentional self-care. And yet it is, it is the first priority whereby we should lead ourselves first. When Paul chooses to say these words, when he is inspired by, by the Spirit to write these things down, no doubt he had seen in the, in the leaders of his day the need for this. 1 Timothy is filled with short sentences, perhaps some long sentences, but statements that are sort of categories. They're not meant to be exhaustive, but they are meant to be categories of where one should pay attention. So this is a very broad subject. Pay attention to yourself and to your teaching. Pay attention to what's happening cognitively, mentally, theologically in your doctrine. Are you caring about it? Are you pursuing it? Are you aligning yourself with scripture? A scripture functioning in your life as a corrective is, are you concerned about God's will? Some time ago, I attended a conference in, uh, in San Francisco. And one of the workshops, an individual stood up in front of us, and he was thinking out loud and trying to help us understand ourselves as ministers. And he said it like this. He says, so you stand in front of a group of people and you teach the Bible to them. And we're all nodding our head. Yep, that's what we do. He says, I don't think I have the confidence to do that. He said it himself. But you do. You do. You're the Bible teacher. What happens when they don't listen to you? What happens when they don't respond to you? He said to stand in front of a group of people and to, and to be the teacher, he said that takes a lot of ego. Now we all think of ourselves as servants of God. And doing this for the glory of God, right? But you see, it will take some time for a minister of the gospel to discover the motives why he stands in front of a group of people. Does he stand in front of a group of people to serve them? Or does he stand in front of a group of people for them to serve him? Inevitably, and something about evangelicalism, we want the big personality who can make it happen. And I have seen more troubled lives from those who have been given the task of making it happen, shaping this, fixing this in the church, showing the pizzazz up front that the church is based on the talents of a personality 
and not on the character of a humble person who is here for the service of God's purpose. Now, we never quite get that right. I never quite get that right. But it takes a lot of ego to stand up in front of a group of people and instruct them. Now, you can do it for different purposes that are God-honoring, but the process to get to that place will take 1 Timothy 4.16 applied. Let me give you a quote that started off my sabbatical. And here it is. <laughs> the more anxious, frustrated, judgmental, angry, overly sympathetic, and omnipotent one feels about the problems of others, the more it says about unresolved problems in self. That means that someone can think in their head, I know what will fix them. I know what will work for them. If they would only listen to me, and since they're not listening to me, I'm angry inside. Since they're not responding to me, I'm critical of them. I'm bitter. The unresolved problems in self. This ministry could really take off if they would only. But Paul tells Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. That's your job description. Your job description isn't to cattle prod people. Your job description is not to uh, run a, uh, a, a, an institution uh, whereby you are sort of the, the managing uh, director of everything. You see, the, the things that I processed in, during my sabbatical were about motives in ministry. Why do I stand in front of a group of people? What are the motives that are God-honoring? And can I serve those purposes? These are compulsions. There are compulsions in us. They are drives, longings. What's interesting is that the Apostle Paul not only told Timothy to pay attention to himself, he told the elders, at, uh, the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28, he says, Be caref pay careful attention to yourselves in the midst of warning them and telling them that future heretics are going to come in and ravage the body of Christ. He promised them tribulation and difficulties and sufferings, and in the middle of all this, he didn't allow them to say, oh, and by the way, that's just a troubled world, and keep pointing your finger at the world. He said, no, in the middle of all this, pay close attention to yourself. And the subtext is, Watch how you're handling suffering. And keep the first-hand knowledge, I would suggest, keep the first-hand knowledge of God's mercy and sweetness ever before you. Keep that in front of you. Lead yourself first.
Joseph Conrad, uh, the author of the book Heart of Darkness, has a pretty difficult quote. Uh, he says, it is my belief that no man ever understands his own artful dodges to escape from the grim shadow of self-knowledge. <laughs> We're just really clever. Scotty Smith was here a while back, did a, a marriage seminar. He's from Franklin, Tennessee. Scotty was instrumental in a, a revival, renewal that happened in Franklin and his church and other churches. And he, he talks about, we, we had a conversation while he was here, and he, he said that people who he had brought to Christ, um, who had grown in grace in his church, uh, just were restless and there was this sort of this migration of evangelicals in Franklin, Tennessee that just kept going around. He called it, they were chasing the church of the next buzz. And they would go, and they actually cycled through his church three times. Hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. Searching for, searching for, see, that's that preoccupation with something, an event, a, a religious spectacle, something out there, a personality, something that will draw me away. You see, we are very clever at artful dodges. The role of busyness is an artful dodge. And so Paul is telling Timothy, the integration into your life of doctrine, of these important truths, that these are transformative in your own life is vital. You must practice this truth, pastor. This must be real to you, pastor. One writer put it this way, faith practices truth by crying out to God in the midst of suffering. Love practices truth by actions of kindness and patience. Humility practices truth by specific confession of sin. Forgiveness practices truth by overlooking an offense. Hope practices truth by recalling the mercies of God. Indeed, I have never truly fully learned truth until I have practiced it. So we could, we could begin a conversation, and I'd, I'd, I'd like you to think of this, this morning uh, as a, a beginning of what does it look like, Pastor, to begin this practice of telling myself the truth? How can I become comfortable with that process? I would admit that I am an artful dodger. I would admit that I, I think that I am in danger I'm in danger because I can see where my heart is wanting to travel. And I can see through some of my behavior that I am, I am not honest with myself. Now, if you, would, if you would be close to admitting that, I want you to know that I will receive you without any shame. I will receive you, and I will, you will be my brother, and you will be my sister. And I will not be afraid of what you tell me. 
Because there is a cross and there's a Savior for people who hide. And there's a magnificent, transformative power that is able to speak to these feelings of shame and these feelings of guilt. And God deeply desires that you would practice truth and feel its liberating power. So, why do we not want to pay attention to ourselves like we've been talking? Why, why don't we want to do this? Well, I'm going to suggest a couple of reasons. Um, there's probably, probably dozens. One of the things is that as Christians, and I'm speaking to you as Christians, the reason why we don't want to be attentive to ourselves is we do not want to experience our need. We have accomplished much in our lives. You've achieved much in your life. Uh, you have received esteem from others in your life. I don't doubt that. Your life, I am thinking, is at a functional level probably working pretty good. So you are, if you are like me, not aware of your need. And you're okay with that. But becoming aware of your need is actually the greatest need that you have. Now, what is my need? Well, some of us are experiencing a sense of shame about our lives, something perhaps has happened to us, and uh, we don't feel enough, we don't feel, we don't want to be attentive to ourselves because it only brings about feelings of shame. We don't uh, know what to do, but perhaps busyness is sort of a, a medicates it, uh, abuse of alcohol, uh, addictions of various sorts. We are recovering from some kind of pain, and our self-medicating is not working, but we are still trying it. Uh, the minister can uh, deal with his own pain by creating something. I can make this happen. And I treat people in such a way because I want them to act a certain way in order to help me feel a certain way. It's actually very selfish. So what will make us attentive to things in our lives that we would not normally look at? What will make us attentive? Christ. Christ was willing to become embodied in a human body in order to come after you. To find you in your inattentiveness. To find you in your shame. To find you in your sorrow. What theologians call our misery. He was willing to come for you and he was attentive 
to the Father's command to redeem sinners. And he loved it. And he wanted to do it. Now for us to enter into this message of Christ, this person of Christ, usually it requires a crisis in our life. Not always. It requires some moment of our life where we say what I'm trying to do is not working. And I, I call out to you to come and listen to Jesus. Come to your Savior who is not ashamed of you. He knows you full, through and through. He knows the aspects of your life that you will never be attentive to. He knows all the blind spots of your life. He knows all the self-repair that you've tried isn't going to work, and he's come after you, and he presents to you his body given for you. The book of Hebrews, chapter 7, 26, says this. Because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. For we who will not be attentive to ourselves, he is the attentive high priest in heaven, interceding now for you. Come out. Let him in to those parts of your heart. Let him in. It's unusual language for we in the Presbyterian Church who hold the sovereignty of God so highly. Let him in. Take that, take that powerful desire where you do not want to be attentive to your life. Take that powerful desire and confess it to him. Father, I do not want to be attentive to this area of my life because I am scared. I don't want to give it up because I'm scared. I don't want to change because I have fear. Bring, bring me to an understanding of what Jesus has done for me, who he is for me now. Help me fall in love with him again that I might love the process of attentiveness. I'm not afraid of the process anymore. I'm willing to bring it to to my heart. I'm not afraid of what others could say, what the input others could give to me, the elders could tell the pastor. I'm not afraid of it because it is part of Christ's freedom from slavery for me. It is not something negative because I am, I am poor in spirit. I have no righteousness of my own. My life is being rebuilt by Christ anyway. He knows the whole story. Keep rebuilding. Jesus was attentive fully to your need. He was willing to see what you could not see, nor I could see. We needed a Savior embodied in human flesh. We never would have envisioned that. Take all of your must-haves, the things that cause your fist to clench, Take the things that are demanding on your heart, the compulsions, the things that you want fixed in your life, the anger that comes up, the things that you're pointing to others and circumstances. Take all of that and say, but Jesus, what you did in this world, 
was you came and you worked all the details of your life in order to atone for me, in order to receive me, in order to welcome me, in order to rescue me. You made the schedule work. You made the evil intended by the Romans who used those nails. You made all of that work for my good. And all of that is better than the things I'm envisioning for my life. You see, apart from the gospel, we will not be attentive to the life-giving, transformative power that is provided for us. He lives to ever intercede for you to rescue you. He was attentive to your need and has brought you into heaven itself. We love a thousand distractions, but God in his love has caused us to be born again and given us a new nature. And God is active at work in you. God is more concerned about you being attentive to yourself than you ever will be. And he is working. He's working today, and he's after you, and he's after you for your good. We have these compulsions. We have these fears. We have these addictions. We have these insecurities. We have these false selves. We have these public faces. We have these private droughts. And in all of this, we still do not want to pay attention cry out, Jesus, receive me. I don't know my own good. I don't understand what is good for me. Cry out. Help us. Help me from my own tendency to distract myself. And let me finish with this. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. God has freely given to you the grace of Jesus. God has freely given to you the adoption as a son or daughter. And from this new attentiveness of God, this new love of God that you're feeling and sensing, from this a new attentiveness will now develop in you. I hope this makes sense. And so come into his saving presence, into his healing presence. Let me conclude with Psalm 19. The final words in Psalm 19. This is an attentive heart. The words of David. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want you to know, as one who is uh, just learning what it means to be attentive, uh, I'm with you. I'd love to com converse with you and to connect with you about some of the things that uh, we've begun to talk about. Next week, we'll talk about what does God give uh, the anxious heart. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you uh, for this moment among my friends. Um, It's just been refreshing to be here and to be um, mindful of how attentive Jesus was. And the one who is now uh, attentive to our our feelings of shame, inadequacy, our fears. And uh, you are with us. And uh, we are yours, adopted as part of your great plan. Uh, Father, thank you for the worship of your people. Bless your word now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.